You know, I love the Bible. You know that I do. I read this week of an older gentleman who was going to be with the Lord. True story just recently happened, and he said, and he was, in, he was actually in London, and he said uh, to one of his associates who was in the room with him, go get the book. And the associate said, well, what book? And he said, the book. What book? The Holy Bible. Go get it. I've lived by it. Now I'm going to die by it. You can live by this book, and you can die by this book. This book is the greatest philosophy book ever written, the greatest book about life ever written. It is truth cover to cover without a mistake in the original text. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. And I'm sorry, that was David. Thy word is truth. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are alive. They are spirit and they are alive. So we're going to read some living words today. I've been sharing on the power of a disciplined life. And I want to talk to you today, uh, I'm going to wrap up this series. How many of you have had greater discipline since we started this? Anybody kind of been moving? I've had people working out. I've had people getting up early and going on long walks, running. And that's great, but it hasn't really been about physical discipline. It's been about training for godliness. How many of you need to be more godly? Anybody in here arrived? All right. Let's look today. If you have a gift, use it. And I'm going to share with you the third public uh, discipline that will change your life. Went through two of them last week. Here's the third one, and it's good works. You have a gift. Use it. Look what the Bible says. For by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And that not of yourself, it didn't come from you, didn't originate with you, but it's a what? It's a gift from God. God gave you a pure gift, total gift. Now, it goes on. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, look at the rest of this, for we are his what? So you're on the potter's wheel. You're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Now let's read those last few words again. I want you to see this. Why did God save you? Was it just for heaven? Did he just give you a ticket to ride? <laughs> no. What did he save you for? You were made a new creation so that you would be involved in what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you will bless it and thank you that it's alive and moving and active and it's going to change our hearts today. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive your word. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're going to be changed today. Well, God is good, and I believe this. In the last few weeks, we've seen that in order to grow spiritually, we've got to have that thing called discipline in our lives. We've got to be disciplined. We need the discipline of God in our life. Now, what is discipline? Discipline enables us to do what we don't want to do so that we can be what we really want to be. There are some things you really want to be and do that you will never be, ever, apart from discipline. It's going to come by discipline. You've got a desire to be something. 
You've got the destination of arriving at what you want to be. But between the desire and the destination is the bridge of discipline. That means you tell you what you're going to do, and you don't let your flesh tell you what you're going to do. You don't let laziness rule your life or procrastination rule your life. You decide what God has put in your heart to be, and then you discipline yourself to get it. Now, we've looked at three private and three public disciplines. Now, here's the private ones. They were routine, quiet times with God. And let me just make a shameless plug for Wednesday night right here. This Wednesday night, we're in between series. I'm going to be starting on the book of Romans. We're going to go through Romans and build our faith and grow in wisdom and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But between now and Romans on the 12th, we're going to have one Wednesday. And I'm going to be ministering this Wednesday on striking the rock, how to get the most out of reading your Bible. Now, here's the rock. Remember that story in the Bible where Moses struck the rock with that rod and water gushed out? Remember that? A miracle. We're going to learn how, when we go into our quiet times with God, how to strike this rock. Here's the rock of the New Testament, the Word of God. And how do you draw water out of it? How do you grow? How, when you read the Bible, do you get something out of it? Well, this Wednesday night, I'm going to share with you what I do to get something out of the Word of God, what I've learned through the years. So we're calling it Striking the Rock. Don't stay home and watch TV. There's nothing on it. One thing TV is not is a rock. And water of life does not come out of that TV. Amen? So come on a Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, strike, striking the rock, how to get the most out of reading your Bible. So routine, quiet times with God is the first private discipline. You've got to have it. And then Bible reading, got to do it. And prayer, you've got to flow in it. And I've been encouraging everyone in this church, this is the dream, this is something that God has begun to put on me. As a matter of fact, so seriously that I have gone through Paul's letters and I've highlighted in yellow everything he prayed for the churches, and I'm starting to pray it over you. I'm praying it over you. And, and I have found that when I pray the Word of God, man, does it launch me into intercessory prayer. And, and so I've got stuff uh, uh, highlighted in Colossians, Philippians, in, in uh, Ephesians in Corinthians, where Paul said, I'm praying for you thus and so, and I'm praying it over this church. But you know what? One of the things that Paul prayed for, he prayed constantly that they would be strengthened in their inner man. I want this church, God wants this church to be mighty in the inner man. So you've got to establish private disciplines. You've got to get with God at least five out of seven days a week. And I believe the Lord put that on my heart. Five out of seven days a week, you need to shut yourself in, take the phone off the hook, turn the television off, put People Magazine down, pick up the rock, take it into your room, say, Lord, here I am, it's you and me, and nobody's going to be bugging me, and strike that rock with faith, spend time with God, and come out of there changed by being with Him. Now, that's what we want, five days a week. Now, the public disciplines are very simple. We've always heard them, but we've got to do them. Regular church attendance, who you consistently gather with. And then choosing the right kind of friends, who you consistently run with, who you're hanging around with. 
Now today I want to look at the third public discipline that I say for today. I want to spend the whole day on it. And that is good works. Good works. Now, good works, that little phrase, has gotten a bad rap in Christian churches, evangelical churches, and here's why. Because we weren't saved by works. We're saved by grace, and that's true. So when you hear works or good works, a lot of times we attach a bad connotation to that. But we shouldn't. Because watch this. Yes, we were saved by grace. Paul said, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a pure 100% gift from God. You couldn't work for it. If you lived to be a million, you couldn't earn it. You could never earn enough righteousness to be saved. We had to take what Jesus did for us. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Well, we're raised on that, and that's absolutely true. He did. He paid a debt I didn't owe, or he didn't owe. And I owed a debt I couldn't pay. I needed someone else to wash my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. So to get saved, you've got to go to that old rugged cross and let the blood of Jesus cover your sins. But Paul did not stop there when he was talking about good works. We were saved by grace. But Paul says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So let me make this simple today. We weren't saved by works, but we were saved for works. We weren't saved by doing good deeds, but we were saved to do good deeds. Salvation is more than a ticket to heaven. We're going to see in the Word of God today that God laid His hand on you, called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. By grace you were saved, convicted of your sin, raised from the spiritual dead. But it wasn't just so that when your ticker stops ticking, you go to heaven. It was so that now, in he- in, on earth, in time and space, in your lifetime, right now, in the now, you are to be involved, I'm to be involved in doing good works. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works We were saved for good works, and unbelievably, I was telling the first service, I cannot wrap my mind around what he says next. I have to accept it by faith. But here's what he says. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. This was his plan before time began. Wow. 2 Timothy 1.9. So watch this, church. God saw you in Christ before the world was created. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a door right here. And on this door, you're looking at it this way. On the door it says, on this side, whosoever will, let him come. I see that. It's the invitation to salvation. And God is calling me. Whosoever will. Well, I'm a whosoever will. So here I come. You turn the doorknob. You accept Christ. He forgives you. You walk through. You shut the door, and lo and behold, on the other side, when you get on the other side, you look, and there's another sign, this side of the door, that says, I knew you were coming all the time. And you know what? Watch this. This is the sovereignty of God. 
I knew you were coming all the time. So God does not say, well, I'll be, would you look at who just came to Jesus? Can you believe that, Gabriel? See, you thought God was shocked when you got saved. But can I tell you what the Bible says? God saw you getting saved before he said, let there be light. Now that's just profound. And I cannot wrap my mind around that. I just have to believe it by faith. And I do believe it by faith because God is God. God knows the end before the beginning begins. God knows the end. And he saw you in Christ. Now, he tells us, when I saw you in Christ, I saw you getting saved. I devised and destined and planned and plotted out a plan for your life. And that plan is that you would walk in good works that glorify God. That you would be a vessel of righteousness and not wickedness. That you would glorify God and not de-glorify Him. That you would shine and not spread darkness. I saw you in Christ doing good works. That's the plan of God. God saved us and called us to live a holy life before the beginning of time. And you find this theme in the Bible over and over again. Listen to Titus 2.14. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good works. Now listen to how he uses good works over and over again in the Word of God. Paul told the Philippian church in Philippians 1.6, I pray that you may be active in the good work of sharing your faith with others. You see, God hasn't called a single person in here to be a silent witness. I don't even know what a silent witness is because the two against each other contradict. A witness talks. A silent thing doesn't. You can't be always a silent witness. Now, I know there are times where you've got to choose the right time to say something. But he said, I am praying for you, and because he prayed it, I'm praying it now over you, that you will share what God has done in your life. What has he done for you? He saved you. He's blessed you. He delivered you. He has filled you with His Spirit. He took you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You're going to heaven and not hell. You're found and not lost. Uh, he came and found you when you weren't looking for Him. He drew you mercifully by the Holy Spirit. He put joy in your heart. He got you off of drugs or got you off of something else. And now He has set you free. All God says is, go tell somebody about it. Go tell somebody about it. Now the Bible says that Christians should be rich in good works. Paul told the Corinthian church, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. Do you notice the word here? Not every once in a while, but always, continuously, abounding in the work of the Lord, and that is good works. Now is that written to the preachers? No. That's written to the Corinthian believers. And you're a child of God. You walk through that door. He knew you were coming all the time. And he has laid his hand on you to be involved continuously, abounding in good works. Now it goes on. 
The Bible says that God gave the Word, this very Word that is in your hands, the Bible. He gave the Bible that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible teaches that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, eager, zealous to do good works. You see, good works go hand in hand with salvation. Something happens when we get saved. God lights our fire. He gets our heart lit. He touches our spirit. And the first thing you want to do is you want to be involved in good works and telling other people about him. Now, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, what is a good work? Let me just give you a simple definition of a good work. It is an act of compassion done for another in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's all that it is. It's an act of compassion. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It's an act of compassion. It doesn't take somebody greatly gifted. It's an act of compassion done for someone else in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not for your glory, for his glory. Not to point to your goodness, but to point to his goodness. Jesus talked a lot about good works like this. I want you to listen to what he said in Matthew 25. He said, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Simple. Every one of those are acts of compassion or good works. Practical, uncomplicated, simple, anybody can do it. And God said, I have saved you that you would involve yourself in good works. Feeding, visiting, clothing others. You don't have to be an orator. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be heavily gifted. All you've got to do is be willing and obedient to do a good work. Hand somebody something, food, clothing, helping them in the name of Jesus. Now, when it comes to public discipline, a discipline in my life, something that's going to make me grow, why is this good works? Why are good works a public discipline? Well, let me give you some reasons that ought to motivate everybody in here to be involved in good works. And I hope that all of you are, but if you're not, you're in the right church. You let me know and we will plug you in. All right? Now, here's, here's some reasons why we need to be involved in works of righteousness, good works. We know we're called to them because the Bible told us. But here's the first reason. Good works round out or they complete your faith. God gave every one of us muscle. We were all born with muscles. But let me tell you what will happen to those muscles if you don't use them. They will atrophy and they will die. The old saying is true of muscle. Use it or lose it. A muscle not being used is a useless, wasted muscle. God says your faith is like a muscle. You've got to use it. If you're going to be mighty in spirit, you're going to have to be mighty in faith. And the only way to make faith mighty, to strengthen it, is to use it, stretch it, apply it, put it into action. Let me tell you, church, faith is a verb. Faith makes your feet walk. 
It makes your hands move. It makes your mouth talk. Faith, when it comes inside of you, the God kind of faith, makes you want to step out and use it. I notice in the Bible that Jesus never healed anybody, but he didn't require something from them. An act of faith. Notice the man with the withered hand. What did he say? Is hanging there at his side. What did Jesus say? Stretch it forth. He had, to, he had to obey the Word of God by faith, and then His miracle came. And you look at the healings and miracles of Jesus. Virtually every time He did this with somebody, healed somebody, unless it was Lazarus who couldn't respond. But notice, when He raised Him from the dead, He said, you come on out of there. He had to come walking out in those grave clothes. See, God, when God gets ready to do something in your life, He's going to require you to use your faith. Good works. Now listen to what James tells us about Abraham. You see that his faith and his works operated together. This is James 2.22. You see that Abraham's faith and works were operating together, and his faith, watch this now, his faith was made complete by his works. What made Abraham's faith develop and grow and mature until he's called the father of our faith? It was putting feet to his faith. He had to put his faith into action. And if he had not put his faith into action, it would never have developed and he would never have become the father of our faith. Faith and works go hand in hand. And that's why you've got to involve yourself, church, in good works. You've got to be doing something that is more about others than you. You've got to be doing something that's not all about you. You're, we four and no more. Your home, your needs, your concerns. God has called every one of us to step out and reach others in His name, in good works. And when we do, something begins to happen in our faith. It's like pushing weight with your faith when you do a good work. When you reach out, when you obey God, your faith begins to develop. Listen to what James said again. James said, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you say you've got faith, but I don't believe you do. Because if you've got Bible faith, it'll have works. You say you've got faith without doing anything with it, I tell you, I'll show you my faith by the works that it produces. I'll show you my faith by what it causes me to do. I'll show you my faith by the fruit it produces. See, our churches are full of Christians who say, you know, I've been saved, gave my heart to the Lord, but they have never lifted one finger to do one thing to the glory of God. They have never reached a solitary soul. They sit, soak, and sour in the pews. And you know what the Bible says? You show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by what it moves me to do. As faith and works operate together, your faith is complete. It's made mature. It becomes fully developed. Without works, it never will. It'll atrophy and it will die. You know, I wasn't saved very long at all. And I was very soon involved in works, reaching people, ministering to people, leading prayer meetings. My faith moved me out. See, when I see somebody who says, I've got faith and I'm saved and they have never lifted a finger, never done anything to the glory of the Lord. They just kind of sit there and go through their life and there's never any fruit. I got to say with James, you, you say, I have faith with no works. I say, wait a minute, I've got faith 
and works that show it. Everybody say good works. An act of compassion towards someone else in the name of the Lord. Now, a second reason good works need to be a public discipline for us. Every believer ought to be involved in good works. Here's a second reason. Good works provide an outlet for the gift that God gave you. Good works provide an outlet. You say, and I'm, I'm anticipating this. Some of you have said, even to yourself lately, I don't have a gift. I've never been able to find my gift. I think I'm one of these ungifted people. You know, Pastor Jeff preaches and other people do other things. But man, I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't preach. I can't teach. I'm a, one of these ungifted people. No, you at least have one gift from God if you are his. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you in here are his? You believe you're saved. Let me ask that again. Come on. Do, I have, a, do you have another invitation here? All right. Now, every one of you that raised your hand, listen carefully to me. The minute you got saved, according to the Bible, God gave you a spiritual gift. You say, where is that, Pastor Jeff? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Everything in the world, Peter says, is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, how do you love each other? Peter tells us, and what he describes is good works. Listen, he says, love will cover a multitude of sins. Show deep love for each other. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry and a bed to the homeless cheerfully. That's two good works. He said, you show your love to others by doing simple acts of compassion in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, after describing those works where he said, just giving a meal to the hungry or a bed to the homeless, he launches into a talk about spiritual gifts. Here's what he says. I want you to listen carefully to this because this has to do with every single person sitting in this room who is a Christian. Peter says, God has given each of you a gift. Not some of you, not most of you, not a few of you, not an elite number, but each of you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're in each one. He has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them. He has given you a gift. Use it. And if you don't use it, you will lose it. It will atrophy and die. And we'll never know what your gift was. Use them well to serve one another. Notice the gift that God gives you and me is not for us. It's for others. He gifted you so that you could bless somebody else. See, there ought to come a time in every believer's life where somebody walks away from them going, Hallelujah, boy, did I get blessed through the name of Jesus Christ, by that person. Use the gift that God gave you, not for yourself, but for other people, to serve other people. Then he talks about two spiritual gifts. Do you have the gift of speaking? Speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others, like feeding the hungry, providing a bed for the homeless, visiting the sick, visiting the prisoner? You can do that. Do you have that gift? 
Then he says, do it. Whatever your gift is, Peter said, use it. Do it. Don't let it waste. Don't waste your gift. Don't die without having used your gift. See, Jesus is like somebody investing money. And when he invests a gift in your life, he wants to get it back with interest. And that's what the parable of the talents is all about. The one that had five talents gained five more. The one that had two gained two more. The one that had one buried his gift and did not use it. And what did the Lord say to him? You wicked and evil servant, you know that I wanted an investment from my gift. And what did he say to him? Lord, I knew that you were a hard man. I knew that you were difficult, that you reap where you did not sow. And he rips off all these bad things about the one who gave him the gift. See, his problem was the way he viewed the gifter. He thought the gifter was mean, unforgiving, ruthless, and not to be trusted. So he buried the gift. And he lost for eternity because there was no reward for having used his gift on earth. God gave you a gift. Don't bury it. Don't let it languish. Don't let it sit there. Anybody can go bless somebody in the name of the Lord. Go do it. Use what God gave you. You have a gift or the word of God is a liar. And I know it does not lie. Peter said, do it with all the strength and all the energy that God supplies. Use your gift. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. So your gift is an outlet for the good works God has called you to do. And we've all been called to do good works. Now, here's another deal I hear all the time. But Pastor Jeff, how do I know what my gift is? I've prayed and prayed. I can't figure out for the life of me what my gift is. I'm going to give you a real simple key. Your spiritual gift is generally revealed by what you gravitate towards. What pulls on your passion, what you are drawn to, what is a fit for you. See, God's not going to call you to do something you don't want to do. You know what I have found? What God gifts you to do, he gives you the desire to do it. He gives you the desire to use it. He gives you the desire to function in that gift. One of my favorite movies of all time, Chariots of Fire. I love Chariots of Fire. Great. You ought to go rent it and watch it. Based on the true story of two British athletes competing in the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris. Now here were the two guys, Englishman Harold Abrahams, who was Jewish, and in the movie, he overcomes anti-Semitism and prejudice among his college um, fellows. And in the movie, he is competing against who had been called the Flying Scotsman, Eric Little, in the 100-meter race. Both incredible athletes. Eric Little, in the movie and in real life, had been born in China by missionary parents. He was raised in a Christian home. And he had a call in his life to missions. And in the movie, he had a devoutly religious sister named Jenny. And Jenny completely disapproved of him running. She said, what are you doing running and putting all your time into running? You're called in the mission field. You ought to be focusing on that. But Little, if you rent the movie, you'll see it. Little saw running as a way of glorifying God before returning to China to work as a missionary. He ran to the glory 
of God. Mm. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And then, one day, Eric Little accidentally missed a prayer meeting because he had been out uh, training to run. And his sister, being a safe sister and doing what safe sisters do, jumped all over him and preached at him. She said, what are you doing out there running when you're supposed to be seeking God and getting ready for the mission field? And then he replied to her with something that has rung and echoed in my spirit ever since I heard this. He said, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. I like that. And then he said, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, let me tell you something. When you move in what God has gifted you with, you will feel his pleasure. That's it. That's really the way that it works. See, uh, when I got called, when God called me to teach and to preach, I didn't hear any audible voice coming from heaven. Jeff Wickwire, you're drafted. Preach. I didn't hear that at all. I didn't see a cloud formation in the sky, no burning bush. You know what happened? God began to put a desire in my heart. My heart began to burn, not with heartburn, with Holy Ghost heartburn. Holy Ghost heartburn is very different. You don't need a Rolades. You don't need a Tums because it doesn't hurt. It's a good burn. It's Holy Ghost heartburn. And it began to burn. I began to have a desire to preach. I tried to shake it and I couldn't shake it. Tried to talk myself out of it, couldn't talk myself out of it. The more I tried to ignore it, the worse it got. Until finally I found myself praying, Lord, you've got to open a door for me to preach. And I couldn't believe I was praying it because I had terrible stage fright. And the last person I would have picked as a public speaker was me. But God's calling is God's calling. And when he comes into your life in salvation, he gives you a gift. You've got at least one. And so finally, I caved in and did it. And when I preached that first time, terrified, yes. Nervous, yes. Trembling, yes. But when I walked away, I could say, I feel God's pleasure. That felt right. And you know what? It's been, uh, oh, I don't even want to say how many years. It's been a lot of years, over 30 years, and it's never gotten better. It's only gotten worse. I want to preach now more than I ever have, and it's never going to leave me till the day that I die. On my tombstone, I wanted to say, his word was in my heart like a burning fire. That's what I wanted to say. When you operate in God's gifting, you'll feel his pleasure. It'll feel right. It's a fit. It's you. It makes sense. It's logical. It's sensible. The gift God gives you also comes with a desire to use it. A third reason that good works are a necessary public discipline. I'm going to close with this. Good works are how we glorify God. Now listen to Peter. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that you would glorify him. Do you know what your primary calling is? To glorify God. How do you do it? Good works. Good works. Listen to what Jesus said about everybody in this room. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Light in a room, city on a hill, 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, you don't. When you light the candles in your house, you put them in the room in a place where they can light the room. But on a lampstand, Jesus said, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Here's what Jesus is saying about the church. I want you to be impossible to miss. I don't want you hiding off in a corner. I want you entering the public debate. I want your presence felt. I don't want you to be we four no more in a church bubble sitting off in some building, not touching your world. I want you a city on a hill. I want you a light that cannot be hidden. I want you shining and lighting up this world. I want you to be obvious, apparent, clear, impossible to miss. Well, how in the world do you do that? Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said, or shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. How is the church seen? By good works. A good work is simply God's love being communicated in a way a lost world can understand it. Because when we get in here and we joy pop on Jesus and jump up and down and get excited and worship Him, they walk in, they don't understand that. When you go to work, you got that bumper sticker on your car, Jesus says, they just think you're one of them. You know what they understand? Works of compassion that they can see. And that's why Jesus said feeding, clothing, visiting. There's a woman in the Bible, you read about her, I think it's in Acts 9. And I'm going to close with this. Dorcas is her name. What a name. Anybody here named Dorcas? just want to be sure before I say anything. <laughs> the name Dorcas will lead you into some good works. Dorcas. Hey, Dorcas. Something about that that's not feminine. Actually, it was Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas. I take Tabitha. Anyway, but listen to what it says about Dorcas. In, in the book of Acts, you, you read that suddenly a woman named Dorcas, who the Bible identifies as a disciple, a woman named Dorcas gets sick and dies. And when she gets sick and dies, they run and they tell Simon Peter. He's off somewhere and he comes. And when he gets there, here's what they do. They bring in coats and clothes and tunics, and they're weeping and they're crying. And they say, see, Peter, this is what Dorcas did. She sowed to the glory of God. And look, look, look what she made us. She made me this coat. She made me this sweater. She made me this garment. I didn't have anything. And Dorcas had a gift. It was not a speaking gift. It was not an out in front of the public gift. It was a just a quiet, personal gift that God gave her, she could sow. And so she began to sow to the glory of God. And she covered so many people in the works of compassion, the good works that she could do. I was telling the first service, I have presided over a lot of funerals. And let me tell you what I've learned in funerals. You can tell a whole lot about the person who died at the funeral. Here's what I've seen. I've done them all. Lost and saved. Every kind of funeral you can imagine. Here's what I've seen. 
the takers, the one who is gone, if he or she was a taker and everything revolved around them and they didn't ever really give much to anyone, not many tears in that place. But if they were givers, loved people, reached out to people, gave to people, you can't stop the tears, the weeping, the grabbing the casket, the inability to let them go because they loved other people and they involved themselves in good works and touched others. This was Dorcas. Peter is given all these clothes. Look what she did. Look what she did, Peter. Look at the clothes she made. Look how much she loved us. Do you know that Dorcas has gone down in Christian history through the centuries as a great woman of God who has inspired many women all through the centuries to do good works in practical ways, sewing, cooking, whatever it is they can do and give to others in the name of the Lord and not for their own glory. And you know what Peter did? He said, wow, she really did bless a lot of people. I believe I'll bless her. He kneeled over her, prayed for her, and she was raised from the dead. That's what the Bible says. She was raised from the dead. Now, what do you think she did in her second chance? She sowed. <laughs> and she kept blessing people. She's one of the few people in the Bible that got to experience two funerals. So listen carefully. Good works complete your faith. Good works are the outlet for your gift. And good works are how you glorify God. What's God gifted you with? Can you stand with me today? You know, I think the saddest people in the world are people who never gave to anyone. It was all about them. We need to be rich toward God and bless other people. Let me ask you a question before we go today. What are you doing to reach out to other people? How long has it been since you did something for someone that could not give you anything in return and you did it in the name of the Lord? How long has it been? Are you looking for a place to release your gift? Come tell us. We will put you to work. That's one of the purposes of the, of the church, the local church, to give you an outlet for God to use your gift. But I want you to say with me, I have a gift. I'm going to use it for the glory of God. Father, I just thank you for this precious congregation today. Thank you for the ministry of the Word of God. And Lord, we have been called to public disciplines regular church attendance, having the right kind of friendships, and, Lord, to be involved in good works. Now, Lord, let this be a church that explodes in people going out and doing good works to the glory of God. I pray that everyone will use their gift. With your eyes closed for a moment, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've wanted to know what my gift is, and I still want to know. Would you raise your hand? I don't know what my gift is, and I want to know. All right, many of you, keep them up. I want to pray right now. Father, I pray that you will open their eyes and show them their gifting before God. 
and do it soon. And thank you, Lord, for the discovery of that gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing before we go. Lead us, Joe. Thank you, Lord. Let's just thank him right now that he's a giver of gifts. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what?